Good morning. Whoa, that's loud. Man, it's so good to be with you guys today. Uh, this is always one of our favorite days. I know we had quick change and everything else, but man, it is, it is a great, other than the, the heater did not work on the baptism tank this week, so it was like the polar plunge up there, um, but uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it's always awesome being able to celebrate with people as they take that step and um, that public declaration, and man, I'm excited to be able to wrap up our series today, Truish. If you haven't been here, we've been looking at some things in, that often people think are true or, you know, that the Bible says, the Bible says this, and are they really true statements or are they just kind of true-ish type of statements and really what does God's word say? And as we wrap up the series today, uh, we're going to look at a phrase that I think is probably the most popular one that we've tackled throughout the series, probably one that you've heard or maybe that you've said or that you're at least familiar with, but it's this phrase, God just wants me to be happy. How many of you have ever heard that phrase? Like, God just wants me to be happy. At, at the end of the day, and here, here's the thing. I would love to tell you today that above all else, that is true. That that is a true statement, that that is true, that God just wants you to be happy, that there's nothing else that God would rather for your life than to be happy, that he wants you to just have a, a great kind of pain-free life and that there would be you know, never anything bad that happens in your life and there would never be any difficult situations in your life and that your bank account would constantly be overflowing with money and your relationships would be perfect and you would have a marriage where you never fight and you would have a body that was like it was when you were a teenager and, and not all, this microphone's acting crazy again so we're going to make another switch. We actually bought a new mic this week for this very reason. Oh, well, there we go. It didn't show up so I apologize for this microphone. We had some issues with these but... I would love to tell you that all of those things are true, that God just wants you to be happy above all else. But unfortunately, it's just, it's not true. I mean, the Bible doesn't promise us that. Now, I, I want to be clear because I don't want to go the opposite direction. Like, God is not against happiness. Like, if you leave here today and that's what you think I'm saying, that God doesn't want you to be happy, that God just wants you to be kind of grumpy and have no fun and never smile, that, that's not true about God either. God created happiness. How many of you understand God created happiness? He created the ability to laugh. He, he created this life that we get to experience. He's not against our happiness. God is a good father. How many of you are parents? How many of you, if you're kids, you love to see joy on your kids' faces? Like there's something about surprising. Like yesterday I decided that I was going to drive up to Montgomeryville with my four children simply to get Yum Yum's Donuts. Right? Because the one in Quakertown is not open until Jesus comes back apparently. And, and they've been closed forever. There's been like new, three new restaurants in Quakertown since they closed. But we went up to Montgomeryville to get some good donuts. And I love seeing my kids eat their you know, donuts and have their chocolate milk and just enjoying life. There's something about being able to, to bless your kids, surprise them, see them smile. And I think God is the same way. He loves when we enjoy his creation. He loves when we enjoy what he's given us. He's not against our happiness at all. But I would say this. It's just not his highest pursuit and his highest desire for our lives. Like his greatest desire for your life isn't just happiness. He actually wants more for you than just happiness. And I think that's really the key word in this phrase. It's not that God wants me to be happy that makes this phrase kind of wrong. It's that word just, that God just wants me to be happy. Because when we believe that above all else, God just wants me to be happy, he just wants my happiness, what it will do is it will cause us to chase after some dangerous views and ideas about happiness. A couple things that I think we see when we think that God just wants us to be happy. The first thing, 
we have this mentality that if it feels right, it must be okay. Like if you think above all else, God just wants you to be happy, then anytime something feels right, it feels good, it feels okay, then it must be okay because God just wants your happiness. Isn't that how that works, right? How many of you understand that that's not true? That just because something feels right, something feels okay, doesn't always make it okay. The Bible is full of wisdom when it comes to this. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2, it says this. It says, all of a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. A little bit later in chapter 16 of Proverbs, it says this in verse 25. It says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. It ends in destruction. Just because something feels right doesn't mean it's right. My son, Landon. He is super allergic to poison. Now, anybody else in here, you're just like super allergic. Like if he gets in with a one-mile radius, he gets it. It's just how it works. And he must have been around some poison ivy last Sunday after church. And he is completely covered. Like up, up on his face, on his eye, his whole chest. It's just everywhere. But he's also a kid that refuses to take medicine or put stuff on. Like literally, I'm trying to put like the calamine on him and he's screaming like I'm breaking all of his bones. He's just having a fit. He's against it. But you know what he does like to do? Scratch. When you look at his chest now, it's just a bunch of scabs on his chest because he's itched every single one of those places open. Just because something feels right doesn't mean it's the right thing. Just because it feels good to itch the poison ivy doesn't mean it's the best course of action to, to fix the situation, right? Like it doesn't always, and, and the same is true in our lives. Just because something feels right doesn't mean it's right. And if we have that mentality that God just wants me to be happy, then anytime something feels right, we'll chase after it. Can I tell you, I want to guarantee you a couple times I know where God doesn't want you to be happy. Like a couple situations I can guarantee you, God doesn't want you to be happy. The first one is this, God doesn't want you happy when it means doing something sinful or wrong. If what you're chasing after for happiness is something that God clearly says is sinful or wrong, he doesn't want you to be happy in that situation. Because if we believe all God wants us is, is just for us to be happy, what we begin to do is we begin to justify things that God clearly says is wrong. We look at God's word and we say, well, listen, I know that that says that I shouldn't do that. I know it says I shouldn't be living that way. I shouldn't be making that decision. But it makes me happy. And God just wants my happiness. That's what he wants more. No, what we do is we chase after happiness and we replace it. We've elevated our happiness over what God wants more than that, which is our obedience. So anytime that doing something sinful or wrong is what we chase after, God doesn't really want us happy in that situation. Another way that God doesn't want us Happy is when that happiness is simply based on the things of this world. Like if, you're, if your mindset in life is, I'll, I'll be happy as long as I have more money and better possessions, better circumstances, more thrilling experiences, greater relationship, a perfect appearance. If all those things are true, if all those things happen in my life, then I can be happy. If that's what you need to be happy, I would say that I don't think God wants you to be happy because you're basing your happiness and building your happiness on the wrong foundation. And let's be real, all of those things change. Now, none of those things stay for long. You could have lots of money one day and it could be gone the next. You could have a great appearance one day and then you turn 30 and everything falls apart. And you just settle in and just eat chips and Doritos and live life and enjoy it, right? All of those things can change. And if your happiness is based on all of those circumstances, all of those situations being perfect, you'll never be happy. And I guarantee you that God does not want you to be happy. And so the first false idea is that if it feels good, it must be okay. The second false idea about happiness is this. I don't feel happy, so I need to get out. 
This is really the opposite of the first one. The first one, if it feels good, it must be okay, right? If it doesn't feel good, then it's got to be wrong. It's got to be something that I need to get out of, that I got to avoid. This one's all about feelings, right? You know, we live in a world that's always about this idea of just, just follow your heart, right? Just follow your heart. Can I, can I be honest with you? That's terrible advice. That's terrible advice. Because sometimes our heart is messed up. Our emotions don't always lead us to the right place. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this about our heart and emotions. It says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Our emotions and our feelings are not always right. They're not always good. They don't always lead us the right way. They can be wicked and deceitful at times. They can take us in directions and towards paths that we don't really want to go. So many times people follow their hearts and it leads them to a place of destruction in their lives. I think about so many times where people say, well, I don't feel happy in this situation. I don't feel happy with what I have. I'm not content with what I have, and so I'm, I'm going to continue to strive to have more and more. I'll work more hours than I ever should work, neglecting my family, neglecting my spouse, because I just want to provide more and more stuff because I'm not happy in this current situation, and I need to have a better situation. We spend more money than we should, getting into more debt than we need to buy things that we don't really need to impress people we don't really like anyway. Where in marriages, I've seen at times, well, I'm just not happy anymore in this marriage. They don't make, like, we have irreconcilable differences, which means they changed, and I don't like the change. There's just things, like, we're, I'm just not happy, they don't make me happy anymore, and so what do we do? We have an affair, we chase after pornography, we just get a divorce, whatever it is. Why? Because we're not happy, and if I'm not happy, it got to be wrong, and there needs to be a situation to change. Our heart and emotions aren't always the best guide for our lives. And it's so important to put into practice what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says to guard your hearts above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What that verse means is that we need to make sure that we're taking time to protect our heart, protect our emotions, making sure that our emotions and our heart line up with the truth of God's word and not just the truth of our culture. And when they line up with the truth of God's word, we can trust our heart when we're seeking after God, when we're following after God, when our greatest heart's desire is the things of God. We can trust the direction of our lives because it's flowing out of that heart. But when our heart isn't lined up with the things of God and when our heart is chasing after temporary and when we say just follow my heart but I just need to change the situation because I don't like the situation right now, the heart can be deceitful and it can lead us towards places of destruction. We need to make sure that we guard our heart, keep our heart and our emotions in check in alignment with the truth of God's word. The third false idea about happiness we see if I believe that God just wants me to be happy above all else, what happens if I'm not happy? Then God's failed me. Right? Because if you think God exists for your happiness above all else, and you're not happy, it's God's fault. He did this, right? It's, it's his fault. He's failed you. He's let me down. He's no longer a good God because I'm not happy in my lives. When we go through seasons of discomfort, come on, how many of you have ever been in a season of discomfort? A season of suffering? A season of pain, one of those valleys we talked about throughout this series. When you go through those times, what do you think? Well, this is hard, and God just wants me to be happy. So this season I'm going through, this can't be God's will for my life. He made a mistake. God has failed me in this area of our lives. See, God never promises that life will be easy. We've talked about this through the series. You know, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. 
God never promised us that we would go through easy things in life, that life would be comfortable, that life would never be easy. But what he does promise us is that he will be with us no matter what we go through. When you go through difficult times, if your mindset is God just wants me to be happy, you'll think this cannot be God's will. I love what it says in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. It says this, it says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now I want you to notice there. It doesn't say when you go through hard things, it's joyful. How many of you are, are at that spiritual level where when you go through something difficult, your first response is, I'm going to be happy about this. My car died on the way to work. I'm just going to be happy. Oh, $1,000 bill. Praise the Lord. My cat died. Amen. That is, that's actually amen. Can we say amen to that? We didn't say dog. You know, Satan goes around like a roaring lion with a cat. That's why we don't like cats. Don't be offended. We're joking. But we have this mentality, right? Like, that's not our normal approach when we go through difficult times. I, maybe it's your approach, but it's definitely not my approach, if I'll be honest with you. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But when I go through difficult times, my first response is not always, praise the Lord. It doesn't say it's joyful to go through it. It says it's an opportunity for joy. Because, listen, when we go through difficult times or when we go through easy times, it's easy to be joyful. When we go through great mountaintop experiences, it's easy to find joy. It's a lot harder to find joy in the the valleys and the difficult times, but he says they're an opportunity for us to experience real joy, true happiness. Why? Because when we are tested, when our faith is tested, our endurance, our endurance has a chance to grow. It actually develops something in our lives. So the Bible says, so let it grow. For when, you, it, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. It's an opportunity for great joy. Again, if you believe that God, above all, just wants you to be happy, and when you go through difficult times, it's going to be hard for you to, get, to find joy in those moments. And here's the problem with all of this. When I believe that God exists for my happiness above all else, what I begin to believe is that God exists for me. I mean, this is ultimately where this leads, right? I begin to, to believe that God exists to serve me. That he is just the, the magic, the genie in the sky who is available to grant my wishes. And when he doesn't do what I want, he doesn't give me what I want, he doesn't answer my prayers the way I want him to answer my prayers, well then he's failed me. And he's no good and he's no longer doing his purpose. When really the opposite is true. God does not exist to serve us, we exist to worship and to serve him. That's what our lives are about. That's where we find purpose. Listen, God wants you to be happy. But he doesn't want happiness to be your greatest pursuit. He wants your greatest pursuit in life to be him. And as you pursue him and as you pursue holiness and you pursue a set-apart life, you experience true happiness. Like the Bible says it like this in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, it says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then before you knew Christ. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. That word holy, that word simply means to be set apart. It means to be dedicated or consecrated to God and for his purposes. You know, so many times I've heard people preach about happiness and they say, well, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. And they talk about these things like they are actually the opposite of each other. Like you have two choices in life. You can be happy or you can be holy. 
That's the only two options. You can be holy, right, or, or happy. You can be happy, enjoy life, live, chase after pleasures, enjoy the moments, you know, YOLO, whatever. You only live once. That's the mentality. You just do whatever feels good in the moment. You can be happy, enjoy life, or you can be holy, which means you sit around and you read the Bible and you wear a suit and tie and you tell everybody else they're going to hell. But that's the only two choices. You have happy or holy, and the truth is I don't think that's actually true. I actually think the Bible is clear that both of these things go hand in hand. That happiness and holiness are actually connected. And what I mean by that is simply this. As you pursue holiness, as you pursue living a life that is set apart, as you pursue living a life that is dedicated to God and His purpose, as you pursue pursuing Him above all else, when you do that, you experience true happiness. Not a counterfeit happiness, not a happiness that is based on your circumstances or what's happening around you, but true godly joy and happiness. And so with that in mind, I want to talk as we close out this series about three things, three ways that we can begin to walk in holiness and also experience true happiness in our lives. How to walk holy and happy. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is it starts with living with a clean heart. How many of you agree? There's lots of things in life that make us happy. I can think, I could just, I could list a number of things that make me happy. I told you before, I love to spoil my kids every once in a while. Do something that surprises them, take them to a park. I love spending that time with them, the joy in their faces. I also love when I can go on a date with my wife without the kids. Like I love them, but sometimes I love them better when we're socially distant, right? We can get away, and I can go on a date with Tiffany, and we can have an actual conversation without kids interrupting. We can eat an actual like hot meal without having to cut somebody's food up. And there's times where I'll order steak. How many of you like steak? Yeah. When I was a kid, my parents would take us out all the time. I would order steak. I was a terrible kid. My brother would order burgers because he understood that money cost something. I would be like, my dad loves to bless me. I'm having a steak. All the time. But when I started to pay for it myself, I became cheap. And if I did get a steak, I would get a sirloin, right? Because that's basically hamburger and like a solid point. But when we go out on those nice dates sometimes, I like to order a real steak. Like a T-bone or a ribeye or something just juicy, delicious. I don't even think about the price at all. I just, just want to enjoy that moment. It makes me happy to be able to spend that time. You know what else makes me happy? When the Cowboys beat the Eagles... See, you know I was too shallow to not say anything. Like on, on national television by a, a lot of points, it was kind of embarrassing. And you know what's even worse? I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, my favorite part about living in Pennsylvania in this area is after the Eagles lose, I loved, I look forward to listening to sports radio the next morning. Like I'm that level of shallow, just in case you were wondering, that it brings me great joy to hear the depression in their voices as they deal with the reality that their team stinks. It just brings me joy. But can I tell you honestly, all of those things that make me happy at times, things that make you happy at times, like that, the circumstances change quickly. Like I love to see the joy in my kid's face, but eventually they turn back into themselves. They start arguing about something stupid in the back of the seat. You crossed the invisible line. You touched me, right? Like it's just normal. And the happiness I felt turns into frustration. I love going on the date, but eventually you do got to come back home to your kids, right? You get to come back home, and then you're faced with the reality. You have to have normal meals, you know. 
Cowboys will lose probably today. Any luck? See, I had to say something positive for you. It's going to happen. What I'm saying is all of those things are temporary, and eventually, eventually they make us unhappy. Eventually they, and if our happiness is built on those things, like it's very temporary, it's short-lived. But you know what, what brings true happiness into my life, and, and if you know Christ should bring happiness into your life too? Something that, that is re, a true for you, that has nothing to do with you, and has everything to do with God. Something that makes us happy is, is knowing that our heart is right with God. That we have a, a clean heart, not a perfect heart, not a heart that never sins anymore. We all struggle. But a heart that even when we do mess up, even when we do fall, fall short, we know that his grace is sufficient. His, his mercies are new every morning. A heart that we know when we fall short, we can still go to God and he will forgive us and love us and restore us into a right relationship. There's something about knowing that we have a, a clean heart, that our conscience is clear before God, that brings true joy and happiness, or should bring true joy and happiness in our lives. Like, I like King David. He was a, a man, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart, but he was also a man that did some stupid things, who didn't always get it right, who fell short. He, he made some, I'm not like, they're not like minor sins. He, he had some, some major flaws. He did some major things that he shouldn't have done. But I love his response, even in the midst of his failings, and in Psalms chapter 32, we, we see some of this in verse 1 through 5. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But finally I confessed all of my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to God. And you forgave me. All of my guilt is gone. True joy and happiness starts with, with holiness. And holiness can't happen in our lives apart from Jesus and being right with God through Jesus. Now you wake up one day and go, you know what, I think I'm going to be holy today. You will fail. Without accepting what Jesus has done for you. Come on, how many of you can think back to times in your life, maybe before you knew Christ, you struggled in that addiction, that heaviness of sin, that darkness that you felt like you were living your life in, that depression, that heaviness of, of knowing that you just felt lost, hopeless, worthless at times. That sin, that weight was so heavy in your life, or maybe even, even after you became a follower of Christ and you... You maybe went through one of those seasons where you rebelled against God. You fell back into some kind of addiction. You fell back into some kind of sin. You, you, you know the weight of that when you feel that. The heaviness in your life when you feel that that relationship with God is not what it should be. That there's something between you. That that sin is hurting. That, that, that just basically just living with that, that heavy guilt and shame. That, that, that heavy conscience. But you remember what it's like when you finally stop trying to hide your sin which you can't hide. And you turn to God and you repent of those sins, you confess those sins, and God lifts the weight of that burden, lifts the weight of that guilt, forgives you for all of your sin, restores right relationship. There's something about that that just feels so real, so true, understanding that your heart is clean. And let me just say, God wants you to be happy, but he wants you to be holy and happy and experience true happiness. And it starts by having a clean heart. Before God. Number two, we also need to learn to listen to God's voice. 
here's the reason. There's always going to be competing voices in your life. There's always going to be competing voices trying to lead and to guide your life. And if you're going to live a, a holy and happy life, then you need to learn to hear God's voice above all the other competing voices, above all the other noise in your life. You need to learn to listen to him above all else for, for a couple reasons. For, for one reason, so you can understand who he is, right, so you can learn to know God above everything else, but also so you can learn to understand who you are and who he says you are. That you allow him to define you and not what the world says to define you. What are some of these competing voices? There's probably many, but a couple that I really, I think are powerful in our lives. Competing voices that are often trying to pull us off track and lead us and guide us different directions. There's the voice of culture. We talked about this earlier in the series that we live in a culture that says there's no such thing as absolute truth. Just live your truth. If it feels right, do it. If it seems right in your mind, then you're the ultimate authority in your life. And so you don't have to, like that's the culture. That's where it's constantly leading us. And so if we listen to that voice above God's voice, we'll do whatever we want. We'll chase after things that are temporary. And we'll miss out on things that are eternal. We'll experience maybe glimpses of happiness, but never true happiness because the voice of culture becomes louder than the voice of our Savior. What's another one of those voices? The voice of comparison. Come on, how many of you understand comparison is easy for us to fall prey to? Especially since we have the internet and we have social media, which is really good at times, but also can be really kind of evil at times too. It's easy to compare ourselves because we have constant reminders of how much better everybody's life is than ours, right? How much better their kids are at sports, how much better their kids are at life and grades and everything else. We look at their life and we say, man, I wish I could go on a vacation like that. I wish I had a house like that. I wish I had kids that listen like that. It's constantly easy to just compare. And what we end up doing is we actually compare our normal lives to everybody else's highlights. Because that's what, let's just be real. Like most people aren't like, aren't really truthful on social media. Like, I don't know, I don't not see many posts where somebody's like, yeah, me and my wife just got into a big fight and I hate my kids today. Like, it's just not normal posts. Not normal. People always post their highlights, the good things, the real, like the things that they want you to know about in their, their life. And, and we constantly are faced with the reality of our normal life, our, our, our sinful life, our failings at times, and we look at everybody else's life and we go, man, their lives are so much better than mine. If I just had their lives, if I just had a better better this, a better that, then you know, things would be better in my life. Everything would be better. And what we end up doing is we listen to that voice of comparison, and it drowns out the voice of our Savior, which teaches us how to be content and to trust God no matter what's going on in our lives. We need to make sure that that voice is not becoming louder than the voice of God. And then the last voice we often hear is the voice of the critics. Can, there, can I tell you, there are always going to be people in your life who don't like you. One of the things I found in ministry more than anything else is that there's always going to be people that you make mad. That's why I just say whatever I feel like I'm supposed to say and don't even care how you feel sometimes. The spiritual filter doesn't always work. Why? Because I know that there's going to be times where you can make people happy. There's going to be times where you say something that makes somebody mad. My, my parents pastors for my entire life, right? Like I, I've seen times where people who were in their corner forever like turn like that. Because of something they said or something they did that they didn't like. It happens all the time. The truth is you experience it in your life as well. There's people in your life that no matter what you do, no matter how you act, no matter you know, what you say, they just don't like you. They just aren't, they're never going to like you. They're never going to, to, to listen to what you, they're just, they're just kind of against you. 
And what I've learned is that you have two choices in life. You can either live for the approval of God or you can live for the approval of man, but you can't do both. Because they're often at war with you. It's like all you care about is the approval of man. There's a good chance that you're going to do things that are against the approval of God. But if you live for the approval of God, that's the only one that actually really matters. And I'm not saying to be a jerk because what has happened is that sometimes in our lives, those critics, they, they, they're people who think their spiritual gift is being, is being mean. And again, listen, I'm not talking about people in your life who give you constructive criticism because there's a place for those in our lives. Like there's, you should have people in your life who have earned the right to speak into areas in your life which are not what they should be. They're not being critical, they're being good friends. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people who feel like their spiritual gift is being mean to you and telling you all the things you do wrong all the time and they don't encourage you or challenge you or do anything else. They simply want to just, it's like they sit with a notebook and just want to take notes of everything you do that they don't like. And you can either listen to their voices and you can allow their voices to, to guide your life and those voices will eventually drown out the voice of God or you can learn to to shut up those voices and to listen to the voice of God. And you know the way that we learn to listen to God's voice above all? It's not, it's not to recognize the other voices. The way that we learn to listen to God's voice above all is we learn to recognize his voice above all the noise. Come on, how many of you, if you be honest, if you, if you, if you have a spouse and you close your eyes in a room and, and people start talking, you could eventually hear their voice because you, you know their voice. It's the same thing. Like sometimes there's so much noise all around us and, and the greatest way to be able to differentiate between all the voices is to learn to recognize God's voice above all the other noise. The Bible says it like this in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You can either surround yourself with all the other voices, allowing the competing voices of culture and comparison and the critics in your life to be the loudest voices you hear, or you can drown out those noises, those voices, and focus on the voice of God and allow His voice to lead your life. Doing what the Bible says, meditating on God's Word, listening to His instruction, learning to hear His voice above all the noise. And when we do that, what do we experience? It says we're like a tree planted beside a flowing stream, bears its fruit in season, leaf does not wither, prospering in all we do. Be happy and holy. In order to do that, you need to learn how to hear God's voice above the noise. And then the last thing, if you want to be happy and holy, you need to learn to live for God's purpose. If you want to experience true happiness in your life, real happiness in your life, then you have to learn to live for a purpose that is bigger than yourself. The happiest people in life are not the people who have the most things. You know how I know that? Look at Hollywood. Look at the way they live their lives. All the They have more than you could ever imagine, more than you could ever think possible. Yet they're some of the, the grumpiest, darkest. How many times do you read stories about uh, an overdose or, or, or somebody committing suicide that you look at and say, they have everything the world says that you think you need, yet they're still empty and broken. Why? Because none of those things truly satisfy. None of those things truly give you what you're, you're looking for. The happiest people, the most joyful people, aren't the people who have more. They're the people who live for a greater purpose than just themselves. They understand that life is meant to be lived with a purpose. In 1 John 2, it says it like this in verse 15. It says, do not love the things of this world. 
the things that this world offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see in pride in our achievements and possessions. But these things are not from the Father, they're from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But listen, but anyone who does what pleases God can live forever. You can live for the world's values, chasing after all of the things that the world tells you will bring you happiness, or you can live for God's purpose, but you can't do both. You can't do both. And all those worldly things, he says, they fade away. They could be here today and gone tomorrow. They will not last, but living for, for God's purpose has eternal happiness, eternal reward. Listen, God wants you to be happy, but he does not want you to settle for counterfeit happiness. He doesn't want you to settle for temporary happiness. He doesn't want you to settle for happiness that is based on your circumstances or based on your happenings. He wants you to experience real, true happiness, which is a byproduct of living a holy, set-apart life for his purpose. As we close this morning, I want to read one final portion of Scripture. This is Paul writing to, to Timothy, kind of like his protege. Paul's at the end of his life at this point. He's lived his life to serve God. He's lived his life for God's purposes. And this is what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Like that, that phrase right there is just beautiful to me. He looks at his life, and if you read about Paul, you know that he went through a lot. He suffered a lot. He was in prison. He was beaten. He was almost stoned to death. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. All these other things that he had gone through. He was betrayed by friends, hated by all kinds of different people. And he looks at his life and he looks at everything he went through and how he lived. And he says, my life has been poured out as an offering. He looked at it and he says, my life is essentially has been worship to God. My life has been a sweet sacrifice to my Savior. I've lived each and every day, every single moment, living my life as worship to my Savior. He goes on to say, the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And listen, and this prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Would you stand with me as we close today? of us could say about our lives, man, my life is, is an offering to God. My life is a worship to God. Everything I do, everything I say, the way I work, the way I am at home, everything I do is an offering. My life, I've poured my life out as an offering. I, I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of my life, whenever that is, man, I want to be able to look back and say what Paul says about his life. He doesn't say my life is perfect. But when he looks at the overall direction of his life, he says, I've lived for God's purpose. I didn't settle for chasing after temper. It would have been a lot easier for Paul to continue to just be a Pharisee and persecute the church. It would have been a lot easier for him to live that life for his purpose. And he looks at his life and he says, I haven't lived for just me. I've lived for, for Jesus above all else. I've poured my life out in ministry. I've served God with everything I have. And now, 
now the crown of righteousness awaits. Now the reward for what I've for what I've done to serve God. Now it awaits, and it's not just for me, it's for all of us who follow Christ, who live our lives for Him. Listen, God does want you to be happy, but He doesn't want that happiness to be based on temporary things, on sin. He wants that happiness to be based on Him. He wants you to experience holiness. He wants you to live a set-apart life, dedicated, consecrated to His purposes. And as you live your life for God, as you dedicate your life to Him, and as each and every morning you wake up and you say, today my life is for God. Every single day I wake up and I understand that my life is a living sacrifice. I choose to live for God every single day. As you do that, you experience true joy and true happiness, which is not based on your circumstance, but it's based on the fact that God is with you no matter your circumstance. He's a good God. He never leaves you. He forsakes you. This morning, for anybody who is who is here and doesn't yet know Christ, we want to give an opportunity as we do every single week. Maybe you're in here today and you came into this place and you feel broken, lost. Maybe you're just chasing after temporary things. You're constantly trying to fill that hole in your life with something to make you happy, to bring you joy, and it works for a time. Like sin is fun for a time. Gives you a little bit of happiness here and there, but eventually that happiness fades and you have to chase the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It's a constant cycle of chasing after something to fill the void that only God can fill. Would you surrender your heart to Christ today? Can I tell you, it's not about trying harder. It's not about trying harder. That's what we think sometimes, man. If I just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do better this next week. I'm not going to give into that sin again. I'm going to do better next week. I'm not going to fail again in that area of my life. I'm just going to try harder. If I just try harder, then I can. No, it's not about trying. It's about dying. Paul talks about dying to ourselves, giving up control of our lives, choosing to, to pick up our cross, so to speak, and follow him every single day. The good news of the gospel is that you could try and try and try, but you'll never get to God. Or you can simply stop trying and surrender your heart, knowing that Jesus did everything for you in your place. And when you confess your sins to God, He doesn't look there and just continue to reap. He just forgives you for your sins now, He says. He makes you a new creation. You don't have to walk out of this place carrying the same weight of guilt and shame that you walked in here with today. Because Jesus already carried that weight of guilt and shame on the cross for you. You don't know him today. Today, he's drawing at your heart. He's saying you need to open the door. You need to let me in. You need to give me control if that's you today. And the Holy Spirit is working in your life right now. Would you simply raise your hand so I know I'm praying with you as we close today. I'm going to look around for just a second. It's a little dark in here. Now, if you're in here today, maybe you do know Christ. But if you be honest, there's some areas in your life where you've begun to chase after happiness apart from Him again. You're chasing after something sinful in your life. You've been living with the mindset of, well, this doesn't make me happy, so I need to get out. I need to change my circumstances. Maybe your marriage is on a pretty shaky ground right now. You're 
chasing after happiness in ways that God does not want you to chase after happiness. And today you simply need to do what David did. You need to confess that sin to God. You need to give it to God. You need to trust him. You need to experience the, the weight of that sin being lifted, the restored relationship, the forgiveness that God offers you. You know, you're in here today and that's you. And as we worship and end today in worship, maybe you just lift your hands and surrender to God and you give him that sin, you confess that sin, and you say, God, I'm not going to continue to walk in something that you have already paid for my freedom from. And you leave this place with a clean heart and a clean conscience, experiencing true happiness in the commands of God. And Father, today, I pray first for anybody that's in this room that doesn't know you. God, you are drawing their heart to you right now, and right now, in their own words, in their heart, they are saying yes to you. They are surrendering their hearts to you, leaving this place today, not relying on themselves, not chasing after temporary happiness, but trusting you. And God, I pray that as you forgive their sins and you cleanse them from their, from their unrighteousness, God, and that you make them a new creation, God, I pray that they would leave here knowing with confidence that they are new in you, that you love them, that you've forgiven them, and that they can walk in freedom because of you. I pray for those of us here who are followers of you, God, but maybe have fallen back into old patterns of sin, chasing after temporary things, focusing more on our happiness than our pursuit of you, than our holiness being set apart from you. God, I pray that you would forgive us today. As we repent to you, as we confess our sins to you, God, your word says you are faithful to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to restore us into that right relationship with you. So God, as we confess our sins, God, we believe that you will lift that weight guilt and shame you will bring back that joy of a clean heart and we thank you for that thank you for what you're doing in our lives thank you for what you're going to continue to do in our lives and in this church in jesus name